curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. For the previously uninitiated, allow this episode to introduce you to Bamco's own Jill Albers, a perennial sales superstar in the promotional marketing industry, who joins me for her third episode and lays some serious knowledge down around things like uh, our tariff situation, how that uh, there's a little bit of what had been boy that cried wolf turning into an opportunity to create some differentiation and perhaps even unseat some existing incumbents uh, about leadership in a time of escalating uncertainty. And she reveals whether or not you have the expertise necessary to be seen as the compelling choice and gives some details there around ways you may be able to do so. And uh, really, there's a lot of insights around just staying relevant in this current reality of uh, the climate that we have, both from a political perspective and the shifting demographics of buyers in the chair opposite all of us who are in crowded, noisy, challenging, and difficult environments, be it promotional products or any other product that you may be selling where the information is readily available and the buyers don't necessarily believe what you are telling them. I think it's a great episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's a quick 18 minutes. Give it a listen. So what's up? Hi, Roger. Do you know that it's been six whole months since the last time that I had you on the program? That seems about right. Six months seems accurate. Yeah, I figured, you know, we, we keep you in the regular rotation. Actually, now we welcome you to the three-time interviewers club. There's only one other person in my universe that's been on three times. So I don't know. Congratulations or I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you know. very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> so I went back and I listened to our last discussion. And it's funny. I think we're going to touch on a couple of the topics that we touched on six months ago. But the first one... You know, we can't not talk about the fact that there is a major trade war going on right now. So 
Miss Elbers, from your perspective, I remember now what you said in the past, but I'm interested in your perspective. Like, how did you guys have to approach that discussion this go round? Was there any revisiting it with customers? What feedback are you hearing? Like, what, what's the word on the street when it comes to the trade war? Well, the difference between now and then is then it was speculative and we keep, we kept bringing it up time and time and time again. And so it's kind of um, a little boy who cried wolf, mm-hmm. <laughs> because if you think about it, it's been over a year since we've been talking about it. Right. And so when we broached it again, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, we're hearing it again. Um, but then some serious conversations happened, but I really think anybody who's in business knows what's happening right now. And so they're made aware of it just because of the news and that it's, it's not just promo news, it's world news. Right. And so they're very familiar with it and being proactive and having conversations in the front of it as it happens, continually updating your client on the best strategy, um, is appreciated and expected at this point. Yeah. And I could see really, you can competitively differentiate yourself by virtue of one distributor's ability to be able to communicate alternative strategies well in comparison to perhaps someone who's caught a little bit more flat footed when challenged by their customers about how to switch gears or change strategy when presented this new challenge, right? Absolutely. If you weren't prepared the days right before it happened to have really thought out conversations about what your organization was doing strategically to prepare for this and how you're planning to take care of your customer, you're in a bad position. So people should have taken the steps to be able to do that and have those conversations because it was important. Anthony Annarino, the latest book that he wrote is called Eat Their Lunch. And it's all about competitive displacement in large accounts. I mean, there, there literally could be opportunities created behind a distributor's ability to, to be seen as an expert in what is this new, very turbulent economy. There could be business won and there could be business lost. For sure. You know, because you could definitely be in a place with a client where you're shining versus the incumbent and how you're representing yourself um, in this scenario. And you can have customers you've had for a long time that weren't real happy with how you handled it and might look elsewhere. So, Um, I think this is one of these big game changers where a client realizes if they feel comfortable doing business with you and if you really know what you're doing or not. Um, And I think that there's a lot of resources to help people if they didn't know what they were doing. Um, But, you know, we're kind of past that now. So there's a lot of preparing and planning that needed to happen. (laughs) Um, I won't, I think everything's going to change again quickly. So I guess that's the communication style. It's that this isn't finite, right? You know, this is all negotiations and it's continually moving. So I wouldn't be surprised if it changes again. Right. Well, uh, it's almost like you have to be a, a news reporter on behalf of this industry to your client base, because like you're saying, it's changing so rapidly and to be able to, to communicate it well and on time as to what's going on is as important as anything. Correct. Absolutely. Oh, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think what you're saying is spot on. Like there's no way it stays like this, uh, but there's no guarantee that it means that we're out of the woods and that, you know, it's just suddenly all going to go away. This is high stakes poker in a way that we're not accustomed to politically. So obviously we will keep ourselves 
paying attention. And it'd be interesting to see when I have you back six months from now, if we're still having this conversation. Absolutely. Uh, I had another author on the guy's name is Mark Schaefer. And the most recent book he wrote is this book called Marketing Rebellion. And in there, one of the biggest topics that he covers is generational buying and the lack of loyalty and the, you know, the notion that for all intents and purposes, loyalty between buyers and sellers has exited the conversation in a very dramatic way. When I um, speak to a lot of distributors, the way it manifests itself, Jill, is the, um, the most common refrain I hear in this is that the buyer in the chair on the other side of the transaction is turning over so frequently that it's turning into the sales reps having to constantly retrain their buyers and the buyers are less and less interested in getting that training. Where do you come out on that? Oh, I have a lot to say here. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so I'll give you an example. So for a large Fortune 500 technology company that I had worked with for over six years, I would say I had nine to 10 program owners on the same program in that amount of time. So if that gives you an example, I mean, nine to 10 buyers in six years. So we're talking nine months ish. And that's because, you know, people are changing jobs much more frequently. They're growing their ability and they're asking for the promotion. They're changing organizations and taking the knowledge that they learned and what they did differently. And what I'm finding is that everybody wants to put their footprint on what you're doing within the organization. So status quo is no longer you know, how we've done things, the way we've always done them with the same buyer, just sitting back and thinking that that's going to continue to stay the same is not going to happen anymore. Mm -hmm. There's people who built their careers in this business of working with one customer that did a certain amount of business with that buyer for 10, 15 years. And that's what they did. Those days are long gone Wow, um, and have been long gone. Um, I won't say it never happened. I mean, obviously there's, there's certain places where, um, you're still seeing it, but it's very rare. Right. And so being a subject matter expert and continuing to, um, help the new person responsible for the category, the spend or the program that you're working on, know the history, why things happened, how they happened, why decisions were made internally because a lot of the other um, influencers that made decisions are likely gone too. Right. So um, really being that knowledge on why things happened and, you know, where the trajectory was going, why it was going that way and helping them be able to put their footprint on it and meet their goals. Cause everybody in business today has goals to meet for their organization. So it's not about loyalty to one distributor is, is the distributor, meaning the goals that I need to obtain to how do I help you as a partner and brand meet your goals? What can we be doing differently to help help achieve that? Um, because those change every year within an organization. If you're not having those customer conversations, probably should be. Wow. Yes. It got, you know, uh, you articulated stuff that I see happen all the time, but I don't know that we've necessarily done a good job of sort of pointing at, when that person hits the chair these days, they are trying to knock somebody's socks off. They are. And, and, and they're trying to change what might've worked 
for forever. And you're sitting there going, this is the way we've always done it. No one's had a problem with it. Why are you stirring the pot? Well, they're stirring the pot because they need to make a splash. They need to make a difference. They either need to reduce a spend. They need to either increase brand impressions. They need to rebrand. They need to do something. And if you can help them do that something, then you're going to be their champion. If you're pushing back and saying, this is how it's always been, you should just get with the program. You're likely not going to be be on the good side or the bad side. Emboldened, empowered, um, more capable of making that splash because of all of the the millennial and the Gen Z. They've they've been broadcasters since the day they got going. So... Mm They're, they're savvy and they know where to find answers and they will look for an alternative strategy. And just because you can't validate that alternative strategy does not mean they won't take it. They Absolutely. will take it. <laughs> because they know that they know they can Google everything that you're Googling. And so there used to be some sort of mystique, like where do these products come from? And I can't do it any differently. Yeah, that's so, you know, bring, you have to bring much more to the table than just creative product ideas and execution on those because there's a lot of easy ways to get merchandise. It's really what the brand strategy is about executing on in-hands dates, um, making what you're doing for them more operationally excellent so that they're saving time, effort, and energy. Um, maybe it's freight reduction strategies for you know global programs, things of that nature. Um, if you're not bringing more ideas to the table, they're going to find a better way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if those are ideas are not coming from you, they're, they are still coming. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of where are they coming from and what credibility and authority are being attached to the ideas as they're being presented. That's so good, Jill. That, that, that's good stuff. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about was we talked six months ago about the proliferance of retail brands in our space. What, what has the last six months shown you when it comes to that particular trend? Everybody wants a retail brand because um, the end user knows what they're getting. You know, you could sit two water bottles next to each other. One's $23 sell price. One's $10.99 sell price. And you and I both know they're made the exact same way and they have pretty much the same darn quality, but the end user doesn't know the name brand of the one that they're getting. Um, it, it really comes down to budget or perception. You know, if you can educate a buyer and explain that to them and you're going to be using that product over and over and over again in a program, they'll probably go with budget. If it's to make a splash for a customer gift or an employee gift, a lot of times they go with brands and buyers right now think they pretty much can get whatever they want as fast as they want, when they want, how they want. Right. It, I mean, with one day turns on products, um, you know, a lot of them are reaching out to wholesale markets, you know, you know, you just have to be able to be getting the brands. It's just, um, what needs to be done today. The, the worst of it coming from my time with branded logistics and us representing Otterbox is someone said, I want Otterbox. And the distributor that was working with that person said, Otterbox isn't in our industry. Mm-hmm. That end buyer called Otterbox directly mm-hmm. and found out how to get their hands on that product. And fortunately, it was through the channel. Unfortunately, that distributor didn't know it. So that created a little bit of a problem in and of itself. But point being, 
if you're not presenting or you're um, suggesting to that buyer that what they're looking for can't be found, just again, like the other discussion, know that they're not probably going to just take that. Absolutely. And that there's, there's some differences in explaining it. Our industry, people who are industry know what that means. Um, a lot of end buyers don't even know what that means. Right. They're not you know, privy to all the little nooks and crannies of our industry. And they think anything branded anywhere it should be our industry. Right. And the way that I explain that is brands that reside in the promotional marketing space have inventory allocated. They're catering to retail. So there's lots of stockouts and you might not have sizes. And when the item's out, it's out. Right. Um, and the promotional industry, they'll likely have that item all season. It's more likely to be in stock. So if I'm selling something that is what you said, not from our industry, it's just giving them guidance on things that can happen when they use that item because right. they don't cater to our business. So that's the reason why we're picking a different product over our product over another product. But the buyers just don't really understand that our industry language. Not only do they not understand our industry language, most of the folks in our industry would not be able to just express what you expressed to the buyer, which is equally important because um, retail retailers have to make inventory commitments uh, you know, to the manufacturers of those products. And that's a contract between those two organizations that we can't just winnow our way into and siphon off some of that inventory that's actually meant for those retailers. When we get into the promotional product space with a brand like Otterbox and they're asking us for forecast because that's what they're used to, right? Yeah. The, re- the retail space. And they're expecting that from you and you're not forecasting with your customers when you're a supplier. I mean, suppliers have asked for it forever, um, but that's not the way it works because there's always the newest, latest and greatest item out there. So when you put a non-industry backpack in a program and they're stock out on every third order and the customer gets upset, that's when you can go back and say, well, we absolutely can get this item, but you have to remember that we might have to change out, you know, a different skew here and there because they're not maintaining inventory levels for us. But it's, it's always better to be brought up ahead of time than after the fact, like anything. Right. Um, if you make somebody aware of it, they might make better business decisions. There's the, there it is. If you make somebody aware of it, they might make better business decisions. And that's the transition to the last question, Joe, which is corporate social responsibility, social entrepreneurship, uh, you know, all the give back stuff being that it is promotional products work week. And we are advocating for the industry. Clearly this is an opportunity for us to want to talk about all of the great things that our medium does, including those members of our supply chain who have engaged in some give back. So, you know, I, it's near and dear to my heart. It seems to be an emerging topic of discussion in sales and marketing circles, but maybe that's just because I'm interested in the topic. So maybe it skews a little bit more in my algorithm and I see more discussion about it than the average person. So from your chair, working with the companies, the size that you are working with, What's the climate around CSR on your side of the transaction? Um, I think there's two buckets. One is social responsibility with product safety Mm -hmm. and the other with giving back. Mm -hmm. And I feel that every large organization has a lot of importance for both. Um, When it comes to social responsibility with products, you really have to take the time to explain it because of price. Right. And if you're not educating not only the 
person you're working with, but all the influencers around them who the information might be going upwards towards, um, they might not be seeing the entire picture. Right. So it's very important um, to do. And I think with the other side, the philanthropy side, I think everybody's giving back to so many different things in so many different ways. When you're doing it now, they, they want to see that you're a company that's like-minded to their organization and their values and can help them come up with ideas as needed when that's important to them for a certain program and that you can continue to do that. I think that the overall organization feels like it's important, but one buyer still has to meet their budget, you know? So um, by wrapping it all together and presenting it at a higher level, it's very good and they're, they're excited to see it. Um, They also have their charities of choice, the things Mm -hmm. that they give back to, and they want to know that you're supporting them. So I think that's what's trending there. Good. So I'm not just in an echo chamber. So you were actually hearing and seeing that it's going on. But, you know, it, it uh, definitely the, the larger the organization, the more difficult this becomes. There's no getting around it. It just is the case. And to be proficient in being able to at least talk about what our supply chain within the promotional products industry is capable of oftentimes is the great way to demonstrate a credibility and authority again. So perhaps whether or not that organization really absolutely is going to jump all over that part of what we can do from a give back perspective with product in our space, the the, the idea of it a lot of times it gets to, at least it's a check of a box Mm -hmm. in much, in much the same way that, the rest of those boxes that sometimes get checked, right? So sometimes they're looking for places to spend with women-owned businesses or with minorities or veterans, a spend that has a give back attached to it in some instance might just be another one of those check boxes. So um, not saying that you have to realign everything that you do organizationally in order to try to meet that need, but at least being aware and, and understanding what your answer would be to that question is uh, often the most important step in the process. And obviously, Bamco's got that together. So you you are riding shotgun with me on the goodness train over there at Bamco for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's it. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. I, I always like getting the your ear to the street perspective <laughs> on things. So uh, we will definitely see you again next time. All right. Thank you.